And, and if you haven't figured out yet, that, that basically the bottom line is this, is that religion is, uh, well, let's just say it this way, that following Jesus is not a religion. Okay, and so it'll make it clear. There are people all over the world that call themselves Christians and they practice a religion. But following Jesus is not a religion. And so we're trying to distinguish between what religion is and it is not and why it doesn't work as we go through this. And we've been using Paul in his uh, understanding of, of his reality fighting against the Judaizers in the book of Galatians, a letter that he wrote to the churches in the province of Galatia. And uh, they were fighting against these Judaizers. And these were people that were saying that if you want to follow Jesus, then you need to practice the religion of Judaism first. If you really want to follow Jesus and be Christian, you must first practice the religion of Judaism. And so Paul wrote the book of Galatians, the letter to the churches there saying that is not the gospel, that is not the truth, that is not what Jesus taught, that is not what we taught you. And in fact, if you remember last week, we looked at, uh, at chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians where it said, you foolish Galatians. Paul was pretty ticked off about the whole process. We're going to move to chapter 4 and look at verses 1 through 7 today and see how he continues in, in this journey of teaching them that religion doesn't work. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, page 1170, if you're using the Pew Bible. Galatians 4, 1, page 1170, if you're using the Pew Bible. And Paul writes these words. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the ele elemental spiritual forces of the world. Let me stop there and just explain those real quickly. Um, and so what Paul was comparing to, he said, to, to be under Judaism is, is to be like a, a child who has gained a great inheritance, but they're too old to make decisions about it. And somebody else has to make the decisions for them. And what he says is, is that the law was the guardian of our souls until God intervened. And verse 4 is how God intervened. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. A couple of things I want to point out about religion and, and about following Jesus, which are different. And the first one is this, is that religion focuses on our agenda, Religion focuses on what I want. Religion focuses on what's best for me. Following Jesus focuses on God's agenda. You see, there's a difference. When we pray sometimes, we go to God and we have everything all planned out for him. Has anybody ever done this? You go to God and you have an issue in your life and you have this request and you go to God and you lay out plan A, B, C, and D. God, if you just do it just like this, everything will be wonderful. And God, I know you love me so much that you're going to give me A, B, C, and D because that is the best way for this to happen. So please put your stamp of approval on it. 
And we go to God with our agenda and say, this is what you need to do. And he looks at us and says, it's my agenda that matters. You see, a follower of Jesus goes to God and asks God what he wants instead of going to him and explaining what we want. So we look at verse four and, and kind of see, to get a bigger picture of this, he said, but when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now those are really powerful words and what, what it can be translated multiple ways, when the time had fully come, when the time was completed, or when the time was perfect, God sent his son. Now, I want you to process with me a little bit historically what's going on here. God made a deal, a covenant with Abraham, and he said, Abraham, you follow me, and your descendants will number more than the stars in the sky and more than the sand in the ocean. Okay, that's a lot of people, and the, the Jewish people never came close to reaching that number. You see, what God was talking about was Jesus will come and then make this available to all people and we will see, and because through you, Abraham, and, and through your offspring, the whole world will be transformed and changed. And so this promise really didn't begin for 2,000 years after it was made to Abraham. Now think about that with me. God told Abraham, here's a promise that I'm going to make for you. 2,000 years I'm going to start. I don't know about you, that's a long time. Abraham didn't get to see that. Even as long as he lived, he didn't get to see the promise begin. But God, Peter writes, for him, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. See, God's not restricted by our time. And so when Paul writes, when the time had fully come, it was the exact right moment in history. It was the exact, exact right time that God had been planning since before the beginning of time. That it would work out just this way, just right, just like this. This big agenda that God has, this big plan, it's all coming down to this day in Bethlehem when Jesus is born. When the time was perfect. You see, I think God would say to us, listen, if I can plan all of this stuff out and I can make it happen just the way that it's supposed to, I think I can handle your job situation. I think I can take care of the issues that you're having in your life. Because you begin to think about all the things that had to happen for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. There had to be a census taken of the entire Roman world so Joseph would have to go to Bethlehem so scripture could be fulfilled. King Herod would have to be a nut job deciding to kill all the baby boys so that the family would have to go to Egypt and fulfill the prophecies of scripture. King Herod's son would also have to be scary so that they wouldn't go back to Judea and to Nazareth again so that scripture would be fulfilled. God had it all perfectly planned out and God looks at us and says, you come to me with your agenda. You need to understand it is my agenda that matters. Sometimes we try to impose our will on God. Now Jesus, and uh, some of you got this question wrong, he talked about the Pharisees instead of the Judaizers, Jesus had issues with the Pharisees, right? And so he and the Pharisees didn't have a good relationship at all. In fact, he called them a bunch of snakes and other things, and for some reason they didn't appreciate that. But Jesus had all of these issues and these arguments and discussions with, with the Pharisees, and 
one of the things that really, really ticked them off was that Jesus healed people on the Sabbath day. It really made him mad. And I've come to the conclusion he did it so many times that he did it intentionally just to get their goat. So there was this one time he was speaking and as they planted a guy in the room who had a shriveled hand. And so Jesus was speaking and he saw the guy with the shriveled hand. He told him to stand up and, and um, he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven you. Only God can do that. And Jesus said, would you be more impressed if I healed his hand than if I said your sins are forgiven you? And he said, stretch out your hand. And the guy stretched out his hand and he was well. And they were mad, not that he forgave sin, but he broke the Sabbath day. He healed on the Sabbath. He made somebody well. He changed their life for good forever. How dare he do that? Well, in their defense, let me say, they were trying to protect themselves from themselves. And so they took God's rules and they added to them because they had so much trouble for being disobedient in the past. We're going to add to the rules to make sure we don't mess up anymore. But can you see how ludicrous this rule is? Imagine with me for just a second that I grabbed my chest and I was having a heart attack right now. And because of that, I was in great pain and I fell down on the floor. And here on the floor, as I was lying, I looked up and I saw Lita. And I said, Lita, I need you to take me to the hospital. And she looks at me with her loving eyes and says, I would love to take you to the hospital, but it's Sunday. <laughs> now, if you survive till tomorrow, I'll be glad to toss you in the car and take you to the hospital. But see, I don't want to offend God by going to the hospital on Sunday because that's the day we go to church. That's the day it's set aside for God. So you'll have to wait next time to have your heart attack on Monday so that I can take you then. That's what they were saying. They were saying, look, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't make this guy's life any better on a Sabbath day. You're breaking all the rules, Jesus. You can't really be a prophet. You can't be from God. You're messing the whole thing up. But that's what they were saying because they went to God and they said, God, here's the agenda. We're protecting you from us. We're protecting you from our own stupidity. We're protecting you from our own mistakes as if God needs our protection. But that's what they were doing. And we have to be honest and we have to say, you know, how many times have I gone to God and I said, God, this is the agenda. This is how it's going to work. This is how everything's going to be fixed. So God, just say yes. Give me what I'm asking for. And then everybody's going to be good. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that God's desire for us is to be happy. Now don't hear me wrong. God doesn't disdain our happiness. But God's goal for us is not our happiness. It's godliness. You see, when I chose to become a follower of Jesus, and when you chose to become a follower of Jesus, you decided to set aside your rights and your privileges and surrender them to him. And now he's the center of the universe, and not you, and not me. 
Religion teaches us it's about me and what I want, and I follow God and do the things that I do so that God will give me what I want. That's not following Jesus at all. Well, Paul goes on, and he says something else I think that's very important. Verse four, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The word Abba there in the Greek, translated into English, the best we can do, means daddy. And it's not an informal conversation, daddy. It's an it's a word that defines intimacy between you and another individual. And so you look at verse six, and what it says is, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, that the spirit, the spirit that calls out Abba Father, the spirit that calls out Daddy. And so when we become followers of Jesus, what happens to us is the spirit of Christ moves into our hearts, into our lives, and the spirit of Christ does what? The Spirit of Christ leads us back to the Father. Leads us to God. And so I, I want you to hear what I'm saying, and, and it's indirect here in, in, in the passage, but, but it's very, very important that everything, as followers of Jesus, everything is about God. and what God wants to accomplish on this earth. You see, religion tends to make it about the church. Religion tends to make it about denominations. Religion tends to make it about making sure everybody fits into what I want them to be. Following Jesus makes it always about God and his kingdom, always. Every conversation, every interaction, every phone call, every email, every text, Every post on Facebook, everything that we do is all about him, first and foremost. Because he's up to something much grander than just me. And he's up to something much grander than just you. See, that's why we have to understand when we go through heartache and difficulty, the first thing we want is we want it over. Yes? Am I the only one that's this way? When hard times come, the one thing that I want from the very beginning, I want this to be done. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to have any more heartache. I don't want to have any more difficulty. God, I just want this over. But God looks at us and says, there is something bigger at stake than you. And it is my kingdom. It is what I am trying to accomplish. And it outweighs you every time. Thirteen years ago, I went to the dentist, and the dentist took an x-ray, and, and so let me say, and I don't mean to offend any dental workers we may have in the room, I hate going to the dentist. I just, you know, you operate on my knee, I don't have a problem. Stick stuff in my mouth, it just drives me crazy, all right? So anyway, I went to the dentist, and the dentist took an x-ray, and he looked at my tooth and said, huh, you've had trauma to your tooth. I didn't know teeth could have trauma, but my tooth was in trauma. And he said, we need to do something about this. You need to have a root canal. So he sent me to another dentist because he doesn't do root canals. And I sat down at that dentist and that dentist looked at the x-ray and said, huh, I can't do anything. 
your tooth has resorption, I think is what it's called, and it's dying from the inside out. There's no tooth to connect a fake tooth to. So I go back to the other dentist and I say, that dentist said he can't do anything. And he said, well, there's nothing I can do either. So here's what you need to do. Eat around it. <laughs> it may last a few days. It may last a few years. I don't know. But just protect it. So I have a crooked smile now so people can't see it. I, you know, I, I can smile, but I have a, use a crooked smile because it's unconsciously, it's embarrassing. I have this tooth here. But Thursday a week ago, I was eating sunflower seeds, and I hear this, and I feel this, it's like, that didn't sound right. So I did the smart thing, I put some more sunflower seeds in my mouth, see if it would happen again. Then I hear another, like, okay, this is a bad idea. So I end up, I go to the dentist, and uh, the following Monday, and this is never good when the dentist says this. But she looked at the x-ray and said, wow. <laughs> said, okay, this can't be good. So she said, uh, your tooth is cracked all the way across. She said, I don't know why it's not falling out. That's a good thing to hear. Um, so anyway, I'm going through this process. So I'm on an all-liquid soft food diet right now. So if I'm in a bad mood, I'm around you. That's what's going on. I haven't had meat in 10 days, and it's driving me crazy. Okay? I'm a meditarian, and it just, <laughs> just kills me. So um, anyway, um, I'm going to have this surgery, and they're going to take out my tooth. I won't go all the details and all that they're going to do. Um, but anyway, we're going to go through all of that. And, and, and I have to be honest, when the dentist told me 13 years ago, just eat around it, we'll see how long it lasts, it, it had lasted 13 years. And I had in my mind it would be there the day I died. I'm like, I'm going to eat around that tooth and protect it until the day I die, they're going to look at me in the casket and say, wow, look at that tooth. <laughs> but it didn't happen. And I look at it, and I'm very disappointed in that loss and the loss that's coming of my tooth. And, and uh, if, if they can save it, I may frame it because it lasted so long. I'm proud of it and all of that. But, but the bottom line, when this whole process is done in a few months, everything's going to be a lot better. No cavities in that spot. I can eat on both sides of my mouth. I could take a big bite of a steak and use all of my teeth. How cool is that going to be? And so I look at that and I realize, you know what? The losing of this tooth, I really didn't want it to happen. I really didn't want it to happen. But now as I begin to process what's on the other side, I realize it's good for all toothdom in my mouth. So hear the spiritual truth. Sometimes life really stinks. Sometimes life really stinks. And we go to God and we want God to fix it. We want him to make it right. But here's what we have to understand. God has a bigger picture in mind. And so we go through the heartache, we go through the loss, we go through the disappointment, and no matter how big or how small it may seem at the time, we have to remember God is up to something much grander than us. 
we live and we serve and we walk on this planet to honor God as followers of Jesus. So I, I wanted to, to, to challenge us today to understand that religion teaches us that it's about me. But following Jesus teaches me it's always, always, always about God. My job as a follower of Jesus is to live sur surrendered to his will for my life, whatever that is. Doesn't mean I'm always gonna like it. But I trust that the God who's big enough to plan out Jesus coming at, at the exact right moment is big enough to guide my life to where it needs to go. And so my job is to trust. Let's pray.